We're going to be in Acts chapter 10 this morning. Thankful for Brenton for leading or reading that scripture reading out of Acts chapter 10 as we're going to examine the, the life of Cornelius. Uh, you know, one of my favorite books, well, probably the favorite book within scripture for me is the book of Acts. I love the book of Acts. It's always, I've always hold it, held it in high regard ever since I you know, became a Christian and started learning uh, about the church. And the book of Acts is so vital to the Christian. Uh, you know, I've been told of a well-known preacher here recently uh, that I didn't know this about him, but he reads one chapter of the book of Acts every day. And he's done that for over 30 years. And that's really impressed me and, and it's kind of driven me to maybe even try that for myself. Uh, but of course, the book of Acts, it re- records the establishment and the expansion of the church. You know, it starts in Jerusalem and it spreads its way throughout Rome And it's filled with multiple examples of these conversion stories of these individuals becoming Christians. It asks and answers the greatest question known to man. What must I do to be saved? Again, it's the blueprints that we have of becoming a Christian. It spans of a period of about 30 years from the the death of Christ until Paul uh, reaches Rome. uh, And we see the growth of Christianity just explode over those 30 years. You know, it it grows in numerical growth. We we read a a lot of times in the book of Acts how the church continues to grow. We see that it grows geographically as it spreads uh, throughout the the nations, uh, through the different nationalities and even spiritual growth we see in the book of Acts. You know, the, the, the New Testament, when you think of the New Testament, you, you think of the gospel accounts. Right? This is where we're told that Jesus is here. He is the Messiah. He is here and he died for you and me. And then we get into the epistles, uh, the, the letters that really tell us how to live as a Christian. But that book of Acts right in the middle between the epistles and the gospels is that conjunction. It's that, 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 that book, again, that tells us how one becomes a Christian. It's a book of history. It's filled with real, factual history, uh, filled with cities that exist, even cities that exist still today, filled with political leaders of the time that archaeologists have gone back in time and have dug up uh, different ruins and have found that these names did truly exist. It's a book of history, real history. And there was no better person to uh, write this for us than Dr. Luke. You know, Luke, uh, uh, he's very meticulous in his writings. Uh, he, he is very descriptive. And this, again, was a great uh, book that he penned for us to have today. And one of the most compelling conversion stories, again, uh, throughout the many of them that are in the book of Acts, is located in Acts chapter 10. And again, uh, it's given to us again in Acts chapter 11, only more condensed that time, about this Gentile. He was this non-Jewish man who becomes the first uh, Jewish, or excuse me, Gentile individual to become a Christian. And that has relevance to you and me this morning because you and I are not of the Jewish faith. Right? And so when we read about this first uh, Gentile, this first individual uh, who became a Christian from the, from the Gentiles, that should pique our interests a little bit. And so what we're going to do in this lesson this morning is just familiarize ourselves with Acts chapter 10. And then we're going to notice a few great truths uh, that we can learn, again, from this conversion story. You know, back in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, when Jesus was speaking to his disciples and he was telling them that they were going to be his witnesses. And he, t- he lists this out. And this is basically the outline to the book of Acts. He says, you're going to be my witnesses to Jerusalem 
and to Judea and to Samaria and then the outer remotest parts of the world. And that's again, that's how we see the book of Acts transfold. We see it go out, the the gospel message going out just like that. Uh, The church, of course, was established in Acts chapter 2, a chapter that we're very familiar with where the Jews first heard the message and and the church began that day. And then by the time we get to Acts chapter 8, the church, of course, began to be persecuted. And the Christians, were told, were scattering throughout Samaria and Judea and the outer remotest parts of the world. And as they were doing that, they weren't shying away. They weren't hiding, but they were preaching the word, we're told, in Acts chapter 4. They were, they were preaching. But then again, by the time we get to Acts chapter 10, that gospel message, that soul-saving message is now coming to the Gentile people, the first full-blooded Gentile, or the Jewish people would refer to them as the uncircumcised. They are now getting the gospel message. You know, when we think of the book of Acts, maybe you think of the Apostle Paul. But Paul really hasn't made his way onto the scene uh, yet. His conversion story is in Acts chapter 9. So we're pretty close to that. But Peter, Peter is the preacher of this time. He's the main preacher in the book of Acts at this time. And he's, he's going to be that focus until we get to about Acts chapter 13 when Paul is going to take over. But in Acts chapter 9, as we uh, close out uh, Paul's conversion, we're told that Peter was uh, in the city of Joppa. And he raises this woman by the name of Tabitha from the dead. And he goes and he stays uh, with a tanner named Simon who lived by the sea. Okay, And so that's where Acts chapter 9 leaves us. And then uh, notice with me as we look at Acts chapter 10. And we want to read the first eight verses together here as we set the scene. So Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 1. Now there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius, and fixing his gaze on him and being much alarmed, he said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. He is staying with a tanner named Simon, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who was speaking to him had left, he summoned two of his servants, a devout soldier and those who were his personal attendants. And after he had explained everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Now, there's a, a couple of cities in this account that, uh, that come up time and time again, so I just wanted to put them up there so you kind of get a little bit of perspective of the, this travel uh, that these individuals are doing. Cornelius was this Roman centurion, and he was stationed there in Caesarea. And the Roman army, of course, was, was the greatest army of that era, of that time, the greatest fighting force. And, and a captain of over 100 individuals was referred to as a centurion. So, so this man, Cornelius, was over 100 men. And centurions, they were really the backbone of the Roman army. Uh, they were uh, the, the backbone. Every centurion that we read about in the New Testament, and there's at least five, six examples of centurions in the New Testament, these were honorable men. Uh, it was said that they were the, the best men morally held these positions. You wanted a, a, a morally righteous man to hold this position, this leadership position, 
They were men of high morals and noble character. And we see when we read that, especially there in verse 2, that this man was no different. Cornelius was a devout man. And so uh, his unit was called the Italian cohort, made of individuals from uh, Italy. And so he's here in Caesarea. And this is where this takes place. And around 3 p.m., we're told that he has this vision. An angel comes to him and instructs him that he needs to search out and find this man who is named Simon, also called Peter, who, who is in Joppa. See, God says, I have heard your prayers, Cornelius, and I've seen the alms. I've seen these gifts that you've been giving to the Jewish people. And so what I need you to do is I need you to search out for this man named Peter. And so Cornelius dispatches some of these men to go down to Joppa to find Peter and to bring him to him. Now, of course, you see up there uh, Caesarea and Joppa. This is only 30 to 40 miles. Uh, of course, uh, maybe an hour's drive in today's uh, mileage, but of course, uh, on foot, uh, that wouldn't be the day. Uh, so maybe a day or so of travel. But as we continue on in this account in Acts chapter 10, uh, Peter, Peter, while he uh, around noontime the next day, he's he goes up on the rooftop and he's a little hungry and he has this great vision. He has this vision of this sheet. That's coming down from heaven, and with upon this sheet are are all of these four-footed animals, these crawling creatures, these birds of the air, things that the Jewish people were not allowed to eat based on uh, the law that they had in the book of Leviticus. You know, uh, things like pigs and hogs and those types of things that, that the Jewish people were not allowed to touch. That they, they were unclean. They were coming down on this sheet that Peter was seeing in this vision, and he hears this voice that says, "Get up, Peter." Kill and eat. You know, arise, Peter, uh, eat. eat. And Peter said, you know what Peter said? He said, by no means, Lord, uh, for I've never eaten anything unholy or unclean. And that's interesting that Peter would say that because uh, he's basically telling the Lord, no, no, I'm not going to do this. And Peter has this vision a second time. And with God says, Peter, the things that... I consider, or you considered unholy and common, I now consider clean. Again, arise and eat. And then he has the vision a third time. Not just once, not just twice, but three times he has this vision. And then, and then the sheet goes back up to the sky and he comes out of this, this trance and Peter is perplexed. Right, what's going on? But at the same time, these, these men who came down from Caesarea, sent from Cornelius, arrive at the home of Simon the Tanner, where, where Peter was staying. And the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, as Brenton just read for you just a little while ago, told Peter to go with these men, go with these men without hesitation, without doubting. And so Cornelius sends for them. Peter brings about six men with him, and they go back up to Caesarea. And so by the next day, uh, we see here in verses 24 through 33, Peter arrives in Caesarea um, and he meets with Cornelius. Now he gets there and there's a big group, uh, a big group of individuals are assembled by Cornelius. We're told uh, these are relatives of him. These are close family friends and things are pretty unusual for Peter. Uh, notice there in verse 25 and 26. Notice the first thing when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter raised him up saying, stand up. I too am just a man. 
See, Peter refuses this worship. He says, I am just a man. Get up, Cornelius. And then look at verses 28 and 29. If things weren't um, uh, all unusual for Peter, look at verses 28 and 29. Peter says to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. That is why I came without even raising an objection when I was sent for. So I asked, for what reason have you sent me? And Cornelius, again, recounts that vision that he had a few days ago. And then in verse 33, he says, So I sent for you immediately, and you have been kind enough to come. Now then, we are all here present before God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Cornelius says with this group of people that he has with them, we are all here. We are ready to hear this great message that you have for us. And notice this sermon uh, that Peter preaches here, starting in verse 34. Opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. But in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. The word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee, after the baptism which John proclaimed. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses of all the things he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he become visible, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God. That is, to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who had been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Verse 43. Of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Peter preached this great sermon to the Gentiles there that, that were uh, there in Cornelius' household. And during this sermon, uh, we're told in the following last few verses of this chapter that the Holy Spirit fell upon the Gentiles who were listening. This was the baptism of the Holy Spirit that we read about in Acts chapter 2, the same event that took place that, that gave uh, the, the, the apostles there the ability to speak in tongues and, and to do those things. And they're doing the same things here as well, here in Acts chapter 10. Uh, again, the only time that the, uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens is Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 10. And the Gentiles are now receiving this baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is God's demonstration showing that, that they are now acceptable to the gospel message. That the gospel message is for them as well. And the Jews, were told, were amazed. And hearing them speak, and uh, the Gentiles are speaking in the tongues, and they're exalting God. They're just amazed that this had happened. And see, notice what they said there in verse 47. They say, surely no one can refuse the water for their... For these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay on for a few days. Now, I know we went through Acts chapter 10 pretty quickly uh, as we were uh, summarizing the events that what happened there. 
But what can we conclude from this lesson? What can we learn from this lesson? Well, three, three points I want to give you. And the first one is the gospel message is for all. In Isaiah chapter 2, starting in verse 2 and 3, you know, this is, this is a theme throughout the Old Testament. Uh, the, that one day that this would happen, that not only would, would uh, God's people be the Jews, but would be all nations, would be, include the Gentiles as well. In Isaiah chapter 2, starting in verse 2, Isaiah records, Now it will come about that in the last days the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills, and all the nations will stream into it. And, and many people will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways, and that we may walk in his paths, for the law will go forth from Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. You know, all the way back in the time of Isaiah, you know, 700, 800 years before the Christ, Isaiah prophesied that there would be a time when all nations would come to him. And that's what's taking place here. The Jews and Gentiles are now part of the church. Remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 16? He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for our salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also the Greek. Well, well who is the Greek? Well, a lot of the times the Bible doesn't use the word Greek, but it used Gentile. And simply put, a Gentile was a person who was not a Jew. Uh, he, he wasn't a Jew, and so that would have been everyone else who was living at that time. Are you familiar with uh, the Jewel Miller field, field strips? You know, that's something that, you know, a lot of people in the church, uh, if you've been around in the church for, you know, 30, 40 years, uh, you may be familiar with. Because that was a big thing back in the day that they would have these film strips and they'd go around teaching the gospel uh, to individuals uh, on, well, projecting it up on a board uh, like this. And that was a pretty innovative thing during the day. And I know we have actually the, 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 the old... Uh, film strips back in, uh, somewhere in my office. And I know we have uh, VHS tapes over in the library there, but I'm not sure if we have uh, the DVDs here. But it was a great tool uh, used to convert uh, individuals. And I, one of the things that I remember when I watched it for the first time uh, that really hit home with me was learning about the different ages within Christian or within the world or different dispensations. You know, from the time of creation all the way to Mount Sinai. The world was under uh, the law of patriarchy, meaning that God spoke directly to those uh, individuals to give his law to them. He spoke to, uh, excuse me, he spoke to Adam. He spoke to Noah and Moses and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Job and men like these. And that's how his law was transferred to them, uh, was by speaking directly. But at Mount Sinai, there was a new law given. Uh, but this was particularly only uh, for the Jewish people. And so from Mount Sinai all the way until uh, the cross, the Jewish people were under the law of Moses. Now, everybody else was still under the law of patriarchy, uh, the, the, the law of the patriarchs, that God speaking directly, uh, giving them uh, that information uh, through them and then being taught over and over again. But at the cross, at the cross, the old law was put away. And Christianity began, and those two uh, older laws are now done away with, and now we are all under that same law, the law of Christianity, God's new law, the Christian age. See, Jesus promised to give Peter the keys of the kingdom of heaven. You remember that in Matthew chapter 16 when, when uh, uh, Peter confessed Jesus as Lord? 
And Jesus said that I'm going to build my church. And then he told Peter, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And that's exactly what he did because Peter was that individual who preached that first gospel sermon in Acts chapter 2. And he opened up the door to the Jewish people. He opened up the door to the church, to the Jews. And here in Acts chapter 10, he is opening up the door to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. And we are now all under that law, that one law of Christ. Acts chapter 15. If you want to skip a couple of pages ahead in Acts chapter 15... Uh, Peter is here in, in verse 7 speaking at the Jerusalem conference. And here he, he, he's speaking about the Gentiles that what had just happened back a few chapters ago in Acts chapter 15, starting in verse 7. And he says this before the Jewish brethren. He says, after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. They cleanse their hearts by the faith, Peter says. God made this well known to Peter when he saw those three visions come down. Again, we are the gospel message is now for all. Uh, Listen to these words that Luke recorded in Luke chapter 24, verses 45 through 47. This is what Jesus said. Uh, He said, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus, it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. And that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. Again, the gospel message is for all. It's no longer for the Jews. It's no longer for a select group, but it is now for all here, starting in Acts chapter 10. The second thing I want us to notice about this lesson here this morning is that Cornelius's goodness was not enough. Did did you notice when we were reading about Cornelius, about the great things the Bible said about him, especially there in verse two, it said that he was a devout man. You know, his mind was centered and focused on spiritual things. He was one who feared God. You know, he revered God. He had a reverence for him. He taught the, those in his household to fear God. Uh, uh, he gave many alms to the Jewish people. Again, he was a benevolent person. These gifts of charity that he gave to the Jewish people. He prayed to God continually, verse 2 says. Skip on down to verse 22 in, in Acts chapter 10. It says that he was a righteous and God-fearing man. Remember, when Peter came in, he fell at his feet and wanted to worship him because he feared God. But again, Peter said, stand up. I too am just a man. Verse 22 says that he was well spoken of of the entire nation of the Jews. This was a man of good report. Uh, In Luke chapter 7, there's a a story of another centurion uh, who gave money to help build their synagogue to the Jewish people. Again, these were good, outstanding individuals. Verse 24, this was an evangelistic man. Again, he brought in his family. He brought in friends to hear this great message. The, 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 when Peter came in, you know, he was having a good old gospel meeting in his own uh, living room, this man was. And he obeyed. Uh, we notice in verse 33 that uh, when, when, when he had that vision, he immediately sent for Peter. Uh, unlike Peter, you know, who needed not one, not two, but needed three times to get the message through uh, when God sent his vision to him. But Cornelius was a, was a superb character. Uh, he was also teachable. You know, he wanted to hear this message that was from God. He doesn't say, uh, Peter, when you get here, I, this message that you're going to give, it better conform to what I want to hear. 
Again, he didn't have these preconceived notions. He just acknowledges that we're all here present before God. God is the audience, not them. And Cornelius wants to be here to hear the preaching of Peter. So when we read all of these righteous and godly traits of Cornelius, we may ask ourselves, what's wrong? What's wrong with this picture? What's wrong with this man? What did he lack? What changes did he need to be made? Did he need to make? And the answer is given. The answer is given is that he needed to believe in Christ and to get into Christ. He believed in the one true God, and that was good. That was a great starting point, but he needed to believe in Christ. He was in a lost state at that point, and he needed to become a Christian. And so we see here, uh, as we conclude this lesson, how he responded to that gospel. You know, it's one thing to be religious, but it's another thing to be religiously right. You know, the devil, he's won a great victory in this life when he somehow, you know, convinced a large, large segment of mankind that, you know, it just doesn't make any difference what you believe just so long as you believe in something. But of course, friends, that's not what the Bible teaches. So what was his reaction to Peter? What was his reaction to this gospel message that he heard that we just uh, read to each and every one of us here this, this morning? First, of course, he heard that message. He heard the message preached. Peter, the angel told Cornelius, Peter is going to speak to you by which you're going to hear these words that you're going to be saved. All of you and your household. He heard the gospel message. Romans 10, 17. Our faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. It wasn't the angel who gave him the message and said, this is what you need to do. It wasn't the vision that Cornelius received or God directly telling them what they needed, what he needed to do. But it was Peter who preached that message and told him about what you need to do to be saved. And then we also notice that he came to believe in the Christ. Again, he already believed in God, but now he comes to have faith in Jesus Christ, the son of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. He heard the message that Peter had and he believed that those things were true, that he died, that he was raised, and he now believes the gospel message. He believes that Jesus was the Christ and he repented of his sins. You know, sometimes the Bible doesn't explicitly mention each aspect when we read these conversion cases in the book of Acts, but here it's implied. Again, if you look at chapter 11, uh, we're given a second account, you know, a summarized account of what happened. In Acts chapter 11, verse 18, we're told. Uh, that Luke records, when they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, well, then God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. So we can imply here that Cornelius and his household repented of those sins. You know, of course, faith in Christ demands repentance. Jesus said, I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Unless you change your mind and come to me and follow me, you will all likewise perish. And of course, uh, later on, Paul's going to say in Acts chapter 17 in his famous sermon in Athens that all people everywhere should repent. Because God has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man, that man being Jesus Christ. So we, hear the, we, we see here that Cornelius, he heard this gospel message. He believed that Jesus is the Son of God. He repented of his, confi- of, of his sins. He confessed his faith in Christ, and he was baptized. We notice there at the very end of chapter 10. Again, and he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. 
And they asked him to stay on for a few days. This is the baptism of the Great Commission. Uh, the baptism in water for the forgiveness of sins. Right? He said that a little while ago in verse 43. That everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. And by believing in him, uh, he acted in faith and in obedience. And was baptized for his forgiveness of sins. Of this one baptism. The one baptism that now is in effect. And Cornelius was saved by the grace of God we see here. By the grace of God, these provisions for man's salvation that you and I have today have been made. And by the grace of God, his word uh, that we have gives us an account, uh, gives us account after account of men and women saved the same way in the first century in the book of Acts. So as as we conclude this lesson this morning, are we modern day Corneliuses? Uh, are you here this morning and you wish to please God, but maybe you've never obeyed the gospel? Why not now? Why do you delay? You have to get in Christ, as we read about here in Acts chapter 10. To, to become a Christian, you have to be in Christ. You know, uh, Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10, that salvation is found in Christ. And there are passages within the, within the Bible that tell us how to become a Christian, how to get in Christ. Romans chapter 6, verse 3 tells us, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? And Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, For all of you who have been baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. See, both of these verses state the very same thing. One is baptized into Christ. So what can we learn uh, this morning from this man, Cornelius? Well, first of all, the gospel message is for all. It is for all mankind. Being a good person is not good enough for Christ. We are not saved by our own righteousness. You know, Jesus even said in Matthew seven twenty one, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but it's he who does the will of my Father who will enter. And of course, he says in John chapter 12, verse 48, he says, It's my words that will judge him on the last day. See, again, it's not about our righteousness. We might be the the best uh, uh, person that that we know, the most moral person that we know. But it's not good enough if we're not in Christ. And we must obey the gospel in order to receive forgiveness of sins. Again, that's exactly what Cornelius did. Uh, he, He heard the word of God. He believed that Jesus is the Christ. He repented of his sins, confessed Jesus as Lord, and he was baptized for the forgiveness of his sins. What will you do with these same words by which uh, we must be saved? This morning, if we can help you in any way, maybe you're here with us this morning and you haven't been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And we just looked at this account in Acts chapter 10 of an individual in that same light. A good man, a great man, but but he didn't have his sins washed away. This morning, uh, there's no better time than to do that than now. Uh, here this morning, uh, or if you need the prayers of this congregation, whatever it may be, uh, we'd always uh, invite you now at this time to make your request known to help you in your Christian walk as together we stand and sing this song of invitation.